Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. got to give a prediction. I've been doing it all year, some better than others, but I have a strange feeling of deja vu. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. And we made it. Feels like a lifetime since the Super Bowl 58 matchup was set just a couple weeks ago. But we're here. The weekend is here. The Super Bowl is here. The Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers facing off in Las Vegas. It's going to be a spectacle. We will be here after the game to recap all of it. Obviously, we got to preview it first, but show's not over just because the last game of the year is here. We'll be back on Monday to take you through what happened, break it all down. Still plenty of time for you to subscribe, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. We'll take you all the way through the wrap-up. Super Bowl 58 is here. We're going to preview every facet of the matchup. My guys, Ralph Vacchiano and Ben Arthur are in Vegas. We're going to check in with them. Three of the biggest components of this Super Bowl 58 matchup. We got it all for you. But first, there is some housekeeping. The NFL, in all of its wisdom, they know how to turn everything into a spectacle. Why send out a press release about the big awards when you can have your own award show? Get out of the way, Grammys and Oscars. We got NFL honors to go through. Yes, the awards that we talk so much about were announced. We also found out about our latest crop of Hall of Famers. So very quickly before we dive into the Super Bowl, we'll walk you through all of that. Most of it fairly unsurprising. Some of it pretty damn surprising. So let's go. Top of the list. Obviously, it's NFL MVP. And for the second time, it is Lamar Jackson. He got 49 of 50 votes to take home his second NFL MVP. It boggles the mind that he came just one vote away from being a two-time unanimous MVP, but I doubt he'll complain about having the trophy twice. He becomes just the 11th player in history to win multiple MVP awards. Of the other 10, seven of them are already into the Hall of Fame, and the other three are Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes, three guys that I'm confident saying will be Hall of Famers when it's all said and done. So if we're keeping score at home, maybe not a lock for the Hall of Fame, but it sure as hell 
seems like Lamar Jackson is going to have a great case when his career is over, hopefully many years from now. Congrats to Lamar. Not exactly a surprising turn of events. I think everybody saw that coming. Same thing can be said for Offensive Player of the Year. It goes to a guy playing on Sunday. That would be all-pro running back Christian McCaffrey. I think for most of the year, it felt like it was going to be Tyreek Hill coming home with this award, but Hill battled injuries down the final month of the season. The Dolphins' offense kind of floundered, and Christian McCaffrey, I mean, who's complaining? 1,400-plus rushing yards, 14 rushing touchdowns. He, in my opinion, is the engine that makes the Niners' offense go. A very deserving winner of that award. Another very unsurprising one, that would be C.J. Stroud predictably winning Offensive Rookie of the Year in a landslide. Shout out to Rams receiver Puka Nakua and Lions tight end Sam Laporta. In 90% of years, those guys would have a fantastic case for Rookie of the Year. But like we said in the preview episode, C.J. Stroud wasn't just phenomenal. Doesn't just look like a top 10 quarterback in the NFL already, but the way he revitalized an entire franchise, you knew from about Halloween onward that he was getting that award. On the flip side, a clean sweep for the Houston Texans. Their other top five draft pick, Will Anderson, comes home with defensive rookie of the year. A lot of people questioned the decision to make that trade with the Arizona Cardinals. Do you need to do all of that to land Stroud and Anderson? Well, them taking home those awards. Sure, the Texans feel good about their decision-making. Okay, those are... Those are the expected results. We did have some more closely contested awards handed out. The most contentious of all, I would say, probably Defensive Player of the Year. We knew it was going to be a tight race. So many deserving candidates. But it is Miles Garrett who comes home with the award. Big, big night for the Cleveland Browns, by the way. They won, felt like half of the awards that were given out on Thursday night went to Cleveland, but the biggest one goes to Garrett. He's been one of the best defenders in the NFL since he got into the league in 2017. He now has the NFL Defensive Player of the Year award. This is how Hall of Fame resumes are built. You got to have at least one of these things. He gets it in a close vote over Steelers edge rusher TJ Watt, who already won this award in 2021. Like we said, this, this is going to fuel this fire in the Cleveland-Pittsburgh rivalry in a way that we're just not used to. T.J. Watt led the league in sacks. He had 19 of them. Whole lot of people that wear yellow and black that are going to tell you T.J. Watt has Garrett beat in every statistical category this season. Whole lot of people that wear orange are going to tell you Miles Garrett beats him in every analytics category, every advanced stat there is, pressure rate, double team rate, all of that good stuff. TJ Watt even took to Twitter and said, this is nothing I'm not used to. Ever the underdog, the Watt guys. Personally, it, it's an incredibly close vote. They're incredible players. And yeah, TJ Watt already has one in his back pocket. Miles Garrett, a very deserving winner. I'd hate it if he got to the end of his career without ever having won this award. I have no problem with it. Miles Garrett, a very fitting, a very deserving defensive player of the year. And he's joined by his coach. Speaking of close votes, Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski wins his second NFL coach of the year award. He beat Houston head coach D'Amico Ryans by just one vote. Defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz also wins assistant coach of the year in Cleveland, by the way. Like I said, they took home a lot 
of hardware. Kevin Stefanski, I, this is another one. I can't feel too, too conflicted. I think these are great cases all the way around. Again, D'Amico Ryans helped revitalize a moribund franchise, a team that had been a laughingstock for about five years. I get it. Kevin Stefanski, a lot more talent on his roster. Go look at the cash spending, and I'll tell you that. But keep in mind, five different quarterbacks this season. The franchise quarterback, Deshaun Watson, unavailable for the second half of the year. Keep in mind, they lose Nick Chubb as well. The adversity that the Browns overcame to win 11 games this year, even with the talent on their roster, it's an incredibly impressive coaching job. I would have been fine with either one, but it does go to Stefanski over D'Amico Ryans. That leaves us with the last major award, the biggest surprise of all, and it goes to the Cleveland Browns again. Joe Flacco wins Comeback Player of the Year award after getting called off his couch in late November and leading the Browns to the playoffs. I said this in our preview show about Baker Mayfield because you, our wonderful fans, voted for Baker as Comeback Player of the Year. And even as cool as it is for Flacco to leave dad duty behind and throw for 300 yards four or five times and get the Browns to the playoffs... This is absolutely insane. And I don't even feel bad saying it. Joe Flacco himself has said it's not that awe-inspiring to come back from being an old guy on his way out of the league, considering his competition was DeMar Hamlin, who actually died during an NFL game, albeit very briefly. But does that make it less incredible that his heart stopped on the field during a game? And in the same calendar year, he recovered well enough to make the Buffalo Bills roster and play in a football game. Now, to give credit to the voters, DeMar Hamlin did receive more first place votes. But I guess since basically everyone who voted for Hamlin voted him number one, he had very few second and third place votes, whereas Flacco's votes ran the whole spectrum. And so at the end of the day, he had more votes. So Hamlin gets more first place votes. Flacco has more votes overall, and he gets the award. At the end of the day, I think DeMar Hamlin said it himself. His journey is about way more than winning comeback player of the year. I, th I think he's going to be okay. I think his story is plenty inspiring without having this trophy on his mantle. But let's state for the record that this is incredibly stupid and the most slam dunk candidate for a comeback story of all time got shafted. Not the end of the world, and more than anything, I'm just glad that DeMar Hamlin is still with us and inspiring people. But holy hell, I just could not have ever imagined this could get screwed up so badly. Talk about missing a layup. But congrats to Joe Flacco. Congrats to all the winners from NFL Honors. Like I said, a lot of very unsurprising results, but quite a few surprising ones, as it turns out. All right, one last bit of business to get to, and that's honestly my, my favorite part of Super Bowl weekend, other than the game itself, is finding out the Hall of Fame candidates. We got a loaded class this year. It came out during NFL Honors. I'll just run you down the list if you haven't seen it. Julius Peppers, one of the best edge rushers of the last 20 years, fifth in all-time sacks speaks for itself, had phenomenal years. Carolina drafted him, but he was also phenomenal for Chicago as well as Green Bay. One of the best 
pass rushers of this modern era since the year 2000. Speaking of great pass rushers, Dwight Freeney also gets in 125 and a half career sacks, four-time All-Pro, easily the best defender of the Peyton Manning era in Indianapolis, drafted by the Colts. And yeah, turns out they had way more than just offense going on. Freeney, that spin move, ugh, phenomenal, great player. Sticking in the AFC South, Andre Johnson gets in the second first round draft pick in Houston Texans history all the way back in 2003 becomes the first ever Houston Texans, Houston Texan inducted into the pro football hall of fame. I think that's really cool. The Texans have now been around long enough to have all time greats in the hall of fame. Patrick Willis also getting into the hall of fame, classic case of you either got to have longevity or do something singular. And Patrick Willis falls into the latter category, played pro football for just eight years, but he was an all pro in six of them playing linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers. Him and Navarro Bowman, you just had to be there. One of the most fearsome linebacker duos in football history, definitely in recent football history, just a freak athlete, a tackle machine, a brief career by Hall of Fame standards, but a deserving, deserving candidacy. Moving down the list, Steve McMichael, Chicago Bears great, four-time All-Pro, starting defensive tackle for the 1985 Chicago Bears, that legendary team. He gets in. Another throwback, Randy Gradishar, five-time All-Pro linebacker, one of the key pieces of those famous Orange Crush defenses in Denver in the 70s. And I'm saving it for last because it's my favorite. Devin Hester, Hall of Famer. And I think there, there are conflicting opinions here because, again, you've either got to have longevity and incredible stats or you got to do something singular. And I know there are, there are guys with longer, more decorated careers like Antonio Gates and Jared Allen who did not get into the Hall of Fame this year. Worthy cases, and I'm bummed for those guys, and I hope they get in soon. But, man, Devin Hester an electric moment in football history, 14 career punt return touchdowns, 20 career return touchdowns. That's basically what he did a minor role on offense, but the best return man to ever do it. And I think it's in addition to just being one of the most exciting players I've ever seen, you got to keep in mind too, that at the rate this is going kickoffs and punt returns mean less than they ever have. It's not a stretch to think that kickoffs in particular won't even be part of this game in the near future. So not only was he exceptional at an aspect of the game that seems to be fading, he's quite literally the best to ever do it. I personally think if you are the best to ever do something in the history of a sport, you belong in the Hall of Fame. I'm so glad the voters agree with me. I'm pumped for Devin Hester to have this moment, one of my all-time favorite dudes to watch, and I think a lot of people agree with me. All right, that does it for the NFL honors portion of the show. Congrats to all the winners. Congrats to all the Hall of Famers. It's merely an appetizer for the most important part because there is one award left to give out. It's the biggest one in the sport, the Lombardi Trophy. Oh, yeah, there's still a game to be played, Super Bowl, 58 Sunday evening in Las Vegas, the 49ers and the Chiefs. One last preview to get you ready 
before the Super Bowl, and we're gonna boil it down. We're gonna we're gonna condense this and make it as easy as possible. So here, for the second half of the show to wrap this thing up, we're gonna give you the three storylines we think are the most important and will go the furthest in settling this matchup. And we're gonna start it in as obvious a place as you could. That would be the matchup of Christian McCaffrey against the Kansas City Chiefs run defense. Maybe you've heard a thing or two about this. The guy that just won NFL Offensive Player of the Year, the best running back pound for pound in the NFL. The trade for McCaffrey two two seasons ago, or last October, looking like a bargain with every single week. And a Chiefs defense that statistically looks awfully leaky against the run. Didn't play a factor in their win against Baltimore. Also didn't stop them from beating Buffalo. So we know that they can find a workaround for it if they need to. And to help me dive into this, we're going to start my good buddy, Ralph Vacchiano. He's in Vegas to help me look at this first matchup of McCaffrey versus the Chiefs. All right, Ralph, I'm going to start you off with, with a hard hitter, just a, a really tough one to get this whole preview started. How important is it for the 49ers to get Christian McCaffrey rolling? Obviously, 49ers run game against what we've billed all postseason as a pretty leaky Chiefs run defense. How do they get that going on Sunday night? Well, I mean, I think it's everything. It's the key to the game for them, and not just because the Chiefs run defense is a vulnerable-ish component of the uh, you know, the Spagnolo defense over there, but also it's what the 49ers do. They are a run-based attack. They, you know, if they don't get Christian McCaffrey going, it affects their play action game. It affects Brock Purdy, who'll be sitting there and having a blitz tee off on him. Um, it takes one weapon of his, maybe his best weapon out of the game. Uh, you know, just it changes everything about who they are on offense. They are not the typical modern passing team that wants to do everything with stretching the field and getting the ball into the hands of the receivers and see what they can do. They're a little, they're not completely old school, but they're a little old school um, in the fact that McCaffrey is the key to everything. So, uh, you know, he doesn't have to have 150 yards, but he has to be running the ball consistently that the chiefs are really thinking, man, we get better, get somebody in there to stop him. And if they're focused on him, it will open up everything else. There's a really interesting wrinkle that makes this whole thing even better. And that's, the divisional round matchup that the chiefs played against the Buffalo bills, where they kind of surrendered the run. They were like, Hey, look, you guys can do whatever you want on the ground. We are not going to let the explosive passing game beat us. And the bills ran for 182, but they didn't have a, a, a completion of more than 20 yards on the entire afternoon. So I'm curious, could we see something similar play out here from Spagnola where I would say, the secondary is one of the strengths of this Chiefs team between, you know, you got LeJarius Sneed, you got Trent McDuffie, you got Justin Reed. Do you think maybe you try to, you know, just clog these throwing lanes and back things up and say, if Christian McCaffrey is the only guy that has a big day, maybe we can survive that? It's, you know, it's possible. I think the problem with that is, Christian McCaffrey is a better running back than anybody the Buffalo Bills had. And I know they had Josh Allen who could run too. <laughs> yeah. He, Josh Allen's a different type of runner. It's a, you know, just a different style. So if they concede Christian McCaffrey, you know, Kyle Shanahan might hand them the ball 35 times and let him put up 200 yards. So, um, so that's a little bit difficult. I think the other thing is 
they have more dangerous weapons in the passing game than the Bills do. Um, you, know, you can make an argument maybe that they don't have a Stephon Diggs caliber, you know, top of the league type of receiver when when Diggs is playing at his best. But Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk are pretty close. They can do a lot of things either from outside or from the slot or just getting a pass out of the backfield. A dangerous tight end in George Kittle. McCaffrey is a tremendous receiver out of the backfield. So you can't just clog all of those passing lanes. Uh, there and Brock Purdy's pretty disciplined, and Mike and Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan's pretty creative in finding ways to get his receivers open. So um, I don't know. It's the if there's the one trick solution that they might have had against the Buffalo Bills. This is just a more diverse, more dangerous offense that they have to deal with. One thing I love about the Niners, and you just you did it perfectly. You list off all of these weapons, and it's it's this wide open offense, this passing attack. But the the brutal truth of the matter is that the Niners love to line up in 21 personnel. They run 40% of their snaps with a fullback and a running back on the field at the same time, Kyle Juszczyk. And it clearly is, is a problem for defenses to deal with the way that everybody's so geared toward the pass in the modern NFL. Do you think the Chiefs are equipped to deal with with that personnel group when the Niners just get these big bodies out here and, and try to muscle the ball. It, it's been amazing to me all week. And obviously I knew this coming in, but talking to the 49ers, uh, it sort of hammered it home that, you know, they've got a pullback up on the podium surrounded by reporters talking to him. And I can't think of the last time in my career that I would have had to talk to a fullback. You probably have to go to the back to the giants and like, yeah, the early the you know, the early part of their Super Bowl runs, 2007, 2008, in that era, um, the fullbacks just don't exist anymore. Nobody uses them the way the 49ers do. So uh, it's not something the Chiefs have practiced a lot against. It adds another element to the rushing attack. If they're having trouble stopping the run, it's not going to help. The Christian McCaffrey has a good, powerful blocker in front of him. So, um, you know, are they equipped to do it? I think they're a really good defense. I think that they can be better against the run than they've been. But it's a challenge because nobody really practices against a team with a fullback anymore. Nobody plays teams like the 49ers that use a fullback so much anymore. I think I mentioned that in one of our preview episodes during the bye week before the Super Bowl, but I love, I love the way the game comes full circle. Kyle Shanahan got hired in San Francisco and Kyle Juszczyk was one of his first priorities, bringing him in in free agency. It's one of the first things he did. And everybody was like, okay, guy, you're like, you're paying all this money to a fullback. What are we doing here? And now Kyle Juszczyk is a huge part of why San Francisco has one of the most cutting edge offenses in the NFL. I just, I love little wrinkles like that. And I think it's, it's going to make for such a fun matchup on Sunday night. It's surprising to me when you think of what a copycat league, this is that more teams haven't tried to copycat it. And I know they haven't won the Super Bowl yet in San Francisco, but you know, they've been there a couple of times. They've been to three straight NFC championship games. So they've won a lot. Obviously, it works. They can run like crazy. Somebody's going to catch on eventually. And I just wonder, especially if they win this game, if you're going to see a few more fullbacks starting to pop up around the league. Suddenly, yeah, it, it'll be back in vogue, just like everybody predicted yep. four or five years ago. One last one for you. And it, it, I think it's very pertinent with the, you know, we're, we're coming off a game where the Niners did manage to erase a 17 point deficit, but I can't help, but think 
you know, the Chiefs started fast against Baltimore and it, it really seemed like it threw off everything about the way the Ravens would prefer to play. You know, they kind of gave up on the running game despite everything we know about the Chiefs' struggles. Would you expect, I mean, regardless of circumstance, it seems like the Niners are going to have to do a better job of staying committed to that element of their offense. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, and I think they will, I, you know, I don't think they want to, they don't want to get, obviously nobody wants to get behind. Um, you know, they've had comebacks, they've had, uh, you know, the games where um, they've had to throw a little more than they wanted to, but it's not their best game. It's not their a game. So they would rather keep it close. Uh, I think their defense is equipped to keep it close and keep it somewhat low scoring. And that will allow them to sort of get into that rhythm and, you know, that's what I've heard a lot of the 49ers talk about this week is just getting themselves into the rhythm of what they do. If they're suddenly behind 14, nothing, you know, I'm not sure that Kyle Shanahan is the typical NFL coach. A lot of them would suddenly abandon the run, even if it was the first quarter and just start throwing deep. He's not going to do that, but he is going to have to put the ball in the hands of Brock Purdy a little bit more than he wants to. Um, they can get a little creative with the, with their running game. Maybe get, you have a bunch of short passes to McCaffrey and, and whoever in the offense, but um, they want to run the play action pa passes. They want to set up those with McCaffrey running the ball. They want to be the kind of grinded out offense that, you know, Mike Shanahan used to run that a lot of teams used to run. Uh, and you just can't do that as effectively from behind. They've got, they do have to stay committed and stay in their rhythm. And that's going to give them the best chance to win this game. Particularly when, when the Niners have the ball, it just feels like it's going to be a very throwback sort of affair. A lot of smash mouth, a lot of hard blocks, a lot of just physical, physical football. I can't wait to see it. Ralph, appreciate all the work you're doing out in Vegas, my man. Please, uh, if you're so inclined, if you, please go check in on, on what Ralph's writing for us on FoxSports.com, on the Fox Sports app. You and Ben Arthur have just been killing it this week, man, and, and I really appreciate it. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Enjoy the game. You as well. I'm going to take this opportunity to make the, the nerds happy because, look, I understand there's, there's more to this than just handing the ball to the running back. The whole correlation causation debate. Teams are undefeated when they run for 100-plus yards because they have the lead at the end of games, and what's the easiest way to run out the clock is to run the ball. I get all of that. So it's not as simple as just handing the ball to Christian McCaffrey, but the numbers bear out that he needs success for the 49ers to have success. San Francisco is 10 and one this season when McCaffrey runs for a hundred plus yards. And again, that's not just icing games that they already lead. We've seen it in these playoffs. The Niners have trailed in the second half of both of their playoff games. One of which they were down three scores in the second half. And he still managed to play a crucial role in those comebacks. Again, like we talked about with Ralph, you can't get away from the running game. You can also go ahead and assume he's going to have an active role in the passing game. You have to go all the way back to December 10th, the last time McCaffrey had fewer than 27 receiving yards. He's going to be a factor in both parts of the game. If you limit him, as good as the rest of the weapons on the San Francisco offense are, I just don't know, even with everything he's accomplished, that I trust Brock Purdy to throw his way out of a deficit against this Chiefs defense without that element of balance. 
when the Niners get both things rolling and they have their way in all facets of their offense, we know how hard it is to stop. They are 16-1 and when McCaffrey even gets to the 85-yard mark. It's where he gets shut down that they tend to struggle in their losses this season, not counting the season finale against LA where a lot of guys sat out in the meaningful losses of the season. McCaffrey was completely bottled up in three of the four. The only game where he went off and the Niners didn't still manage to win was the Baltimore loss on Christmas night where San Francisco famously turned the ball over five times. Not going to win doing that in the NFL. So, It seems pretty clear, even understanding the way this goes, teams with leads in the second half tend to run the ball. No, McCaffrey is a viable threat no matter the the situation, no matter the deficit in this game. If he has success, it's going to give the Niners a chance to win regardless of how the script goes. You hold him to 50 or fewer yards, you've got a much better chance. We've seen that bear out. Are the Chiefs up to it? Or are they up to building such a strong lead that they take him out of the game? I've got to see it to believe it. I don't think San Francisco will turn away from McCaffrey no matter the situation. His ability as a receiver makes that even more likely. The Chiefs are going to have to be on the screws. That's why I brought that up to Ralph of how do you handle heavy personnel? Can your linebackers make tackles at the second level, keep modest gains from turning into chunk gains. I think that's going to be the key. How well do your DBs tackle? The Chiefs tackle very, very well. It's not a night where they can afford to let that up. So how far you can contain Christian McCaffrey, I think, in terms of when San Francisco has the ball, it's the single biggest decider, deciding factor in this matchup. Let's take it to the other side of the ball for our second big matchup, and that one involves the best player in this game, The best player in any game, because he's the best player in the world. That would be Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs, two-time MVP, two-time championship-winning quarterback. I heard the the, the great lines this week from somebody. The only number Patrick Mahomes should be concerned with the rest of the way is seven. Because at this point, none of the stats matter other than chasing that mark of seven championships won by Tom Brady. He can add a big feather in his cap on Sunday. And we're going to match him up, not against any one player. It'll be San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes because it's going to take an all-star ensemble to slow down Mahomes. Fortunately for him, he's got one. Niners defense just as star-studded as its offense, whether you want to talk about Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Fred Warner, and Dre Greenlaw, Charvarius Ward breaking out as an all-pro this season. Yeah. They go deep on the San Francisco defense. But the interesting thing is they haven't really been playing like it in these playoffs since taking the week off after the end of the regular season as the one seed. This hasn't looked like the ferocious unit that's built up this incredible reputation over the last couple years, giving up a ton of yards and a ton of points in their two playoff games. Most shocking stat of all, allowing an average of 160 rushing yards to the Packers and the Lions. I'm interested to see how they rebound, how they respond, because we know they can play as well as anyone in the NFL. And specifically, when you're talking about matching up with a quarterback, San Francisco allowing just 227 passing yards per game. That's the sixth best mark in the NFL this season. They are, or look anyway, equipped to limit the Chiefs passing game. I also think it's interesting 
In terms of matchups, I think Steve Wilkes has a lot of good options at his disposal. When you talk about how did the Chiefs get here? How did they reinvent their offense and get it playing well enough to get to a Super Bowl? They figured out what they were good at and they started funneling everything through Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey. I think the Niners have the horses to slow those two options down. Let's start with Rice because he's the new guy, the rookie who's really broken out here over the second half of the season. Between Ward, Diamador, Lenore, and then the third guy, Ambry, Ambry Thomas, I think the Niners have a very unique opportunity to, to match up well with him and slow him down. Whether you want to talk about the fact we know Ward can travel, he famously traveled with DK Metcalf this season and completely took him away in the game in the Niners games against Seattle. Lenore's been phenomenal in the slot and on the outside this season. So between those two, do you travel with him? Do you do you move Lenore inside when Rasheed Rice is inside? Do the, the Chiefs try to match up Rice on Ambry Thomas as often as they can? I just think between those two, you have a fantastic opportunity to limit the looks and and the explosive opportunities that Rasheed Rice gets. And then Travis Kelsey, the Hall of Famer, they're about as well-equipped as you could ask somebody to be to deal with him when you think about the fact that the 49ers have one of the best pass coverage linebackers in the NFL in Fred Warner. So the horses are there for San Francisco. It's just a matter of how well Steve Wilkes uses them. Fortunately for me, I've got some really interesting perspective here. There's a defense this season that gave Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs fits twice, and that was the Denver Broncos. This week, I had a chance to sit down with starting linebacker in Denver, Alex Singleton, to pick his brain about how you can frustrate Patrick Mahomes and how we might see Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, and the rest of the 49ers do that. All right, I'm joined out not just by Denver Broncos linebacker Alex Singleton, but also Special Olympics athlete Vince Egan, multi-sport athlete. Guys, First of all, I mean, thanks for joining me. And uh, how's how's your Super Bowl week treating you? Uh, it's pretty awesome uh, opportunity. Vince, I got to tell you, man, I was prepping to do this interview, and I I need to know how you find the time, my guy. Like you're a, a champion <laughs> skier, you play golf, you coach basketball. I mean, how do you yeah, how do you yeah. balance training for all this stuff and and excelling at it as well? Like I said, how do you find the time, man? Uh, it's a tough, uh, it's tough to find time sometimes. Um, but, uh, I have a great person that, that helps me out. I call her my momager. (laughs) She, (laughs) she, she helps me out with a lot of those things to find time in the place to, to do all these fun opportunities that I have. It's one thing to compete and, and be a special Olympics athlete, but, What's it been like getting involved in in this aspect of it and and putting the word out and and raising awareness for for campaigns like this? So, Snag Zone uh, giving out like information, understanding like the the portions that we we learned in the videos, and you can find those videos in the uh, Special Olympics uh, snack zone um, to get more information to understand what we do to help all athletes um, get healthier. Yeah, that's really that's really awesome, man. Alex, on a football side of things, I got to tell you, man, I was really excited when we heard we were getting you 
Because who better to talk to about Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City offense than a Denver Broncos player? Y'all gave those guys fits this year. You obviously, you beat them at home. But even in the game that you lost at Arrowhead, you know, they go one of five in the red zone. I mean, y'all flustered them a lot that day. What can you tell me? And I mean, easier said than done, right? But what can you tell me about frustrating Patrick Mahomes and and finding a way to slow down the Chiefs offense? For sure, they they really developed their right game. You know, have found that and it seems like, and, and you know, October, which is when y'all played them both of those times. I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago. It kind of seems like the Chiefs have done a much better job of of streamlining what they do well. You know, you've seen Rasheed Rice take on a much larger role here in the second half of the season. When you look at them now, what do you think they've gotten working, and and what do you think Steve Wilkes will have to key on when he puts this game plan together for the 49ers? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say this last the way Rice has been playing on, you know, five, six, seven weeks. I just kind of turn that offensive around. I think they were looking, not necessarily for him to step up, you know, in the bowl he has right away, but I think, you know, I'm assuming probably about that halfway point, they kind of said, hey, you, you need to be this guy. And, you know, he's been able to be that guy for them. And, then, you know, when we played them, he wasn't that guy. Yet. They were getting any of those opportunities. He was just kind of on the screen. Uh, get the ball quick, and that was good. He's, he's kind of forward and late. It's going to be a heck of a chess match. Vince, do you have a Super Bowl prediction by any chance? Uh, yes, I have the Chiefs winning over the uh, 49ers. Um, 23-21 score final. Defensive slugfest, just like I like it. Guys, it's been really fun talking to you. Thanks for taking the time. I'll catch you soon. Yeah, thanks, Thank you. Shouldn't need to tell you how hard it is to beat the Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes plays well, because even in what you would call a down year for the Chiefs offense, he's been awesome the majority of the time. A little stat for you. Chiefs are 36-1. and one when Mahomes posts a passer rating of 120 or more. Now, obviously, that's a really great mark. You would expect that. The thing that makes it pertinent to me is Mahomes has posted a 100-plus passer rating in two straight playoff games, including a rating of 122 last week against Baltimore, who had the number one defense in the NFL heading in. So even against elite defenses and in hostile environments, for that matter, he's capable of posting that type of rating And when he does, the Chiefs are nigh on unbeatable. Big part of that, I think, is his decision-making. Our guy, Henry McKenna, actually, for FoxSports.com, wrote this week, for all the talk about game breakers and game managers, few people are doing a better job of managing games than Patrick Mahomes this season, just in terms of the pace of the offense, the decision-making. Speaking of decision-making, here's something to keep in mind. It hasn't always been pretty for the Chiefs offense while they've figured out what to do and where to go with the football. On Christmas Day, maybe you remember the loss that seemed like it sunk their season. They lose to the Raiders on Christmas. Mahomes had five turnover-worthy plays that day in one game. In his four starts since then, he hasn't had a single turnover-worthy play at all. I think this game could hinge on the Niners' ability to either bait him into a bad decision, get him to hold onto the ball longer than he wants to, anything to create 
a flashpoint play for this defense. I think it's going to have to happen. And like I said, you, you haven't seen anybody be able to do it to him in the better part of a month. One thing working against the Niners as well, their pass rush, quite simply, outside of Nick Bosa, has been MIA since the postseason started. Nick Bosa in two playoff games has two sacks and seven quarterback hits. The rest of that vaunted Niner pass rush, Javon Hargrave, uh, Eric Armstead, Chase Young, Javon Kinlaw, go down the list. All of them in two games have combined for no sacks and two quarterback hits. So can the Niners get away with just relying on Nick Bosa? I'm not sure I buy that. And if they can't find somebody to get home, obviously you know what that means for the Chiefs passing attack. But remember what Patrick Mahomes can do with his legs as well. When Patrick Mahomes runs for 28 or more yards over the last two years, Kansas City is 14-3. and three. Remember, the play of the game in the Super Bowl last year wasn't some long completion. It was the Patrick Mahomes scramble up the middle of the field that got the Chiefs into striking territory in the final moments of the game. He can kill you with his legs, even if he doesn't post gaudy numbers. And if Bosa's the only guy posing a threat to get pressure to get sacks, I think that bodes poorly for the Niners if Mahomes is able to break, contain, create plays, either by extending plays or by rushing. All of that is to say, you've got to find a way to frustrate Mahomes. I think you've got to find a way to, to get one of those turnover-worthy plays because he's going to make the right decision more often than not. He's going to find somebody who can beat their coverage. Like I said, even with the way that I expect the Niners to focus on Rice and Travis Kelsey. He's not afraid to take those chunk shots to the likes of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I would imagine Isaiah Pacheco is going to play a big role in this as well. Shoot, maybe the Chiefs even call on Kadarius Toney. I'm not sure I would call that a great idea, but he did score a touchdown in the Super Bowl just last year. You've got to find a way to get a turnover-worthy play or when those big moments do come, you got to hope you can rise above the Chiefs role players because that's where they have gotten in trouble is when they can't count on that third guy besides Kelsey and Rice to come through. I can't wait to see how this plays out. It's a lot to ask of Steve Wilkes. He does have the personnel to do it, though. May the best man win. Let's do our last matchup on a more underrated note. There's, there's all pro players all across this game that you could choose to focus on, but I don't want to forget the battle on the sidelines, and that would be between two of the most highly regarded head coaches in the NFL, Chiefs head coach Andy Reid matching up against Kyle Shanahan, two of the best offensive minds in the game, two of the best developers of talent, coaching and player in the NFL. These guys have contributed so much to not just the history of the game, but the present state of the game. And I think the decisions that they make and, and the choices that are in front of them in this game are going to go a long way in deciding the outcome. I'm going to get an assist on this one from my good buddy, Ben Arthur, who is coming to the end of a long week in Las Vegas. He's here to help me look at the coaching side of this. Andy Reid versus Kyle Shanahan. All right, let's take it to Las Vegas to catch up with one of our intrepid reporters on the ground in Sin City. Ben Arthur, for starters... How's Vegas treating you? Or how are you holding up? I mean, a week in Las Vegas. I think people say it's supposed to be like 48 hours a week. I don't know. How are we doing? 
Yeah, it's I'm I'm hanging in there. For, first of all, it, it has been a long week, a lot of availability, a lot of reporting, and then you add the fact that it's the Super Bowl in Vegas. Uh, that that adds a whole new wrinkle uh, to it. But but it has has been fun. Um, I, I was kind of telling you this earlier, but I I, I think I feel better um, at this point in the week than I than I thought. I would coming in. So uh, that, that's definitely encouraging with obviously the Super Bowl still a few days away, but, um, but it's been a great experience. This is my first Super Bowl uh, week experience. And, and, and so it's been fun and, and I'm sure uh, there'll be a lot more fun to come between now and, and Sunday, but it's, it's definitely been a good time to this point. I'm simultaneously very jealous while also understanding what a grind that really is to, to be there for eight full days. All right. We want to talk to you about one specific side of this matchup that I think gets forgotten about. You know, there's there's so many star players in this game. Obviously, there's there's Hall of Fame guys. We already know Mahomes and Kelsey are going to be there on and on and on and on. But I'm I'm pretty fascinated by the coaching aspect of this. When you think about Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan, two guys who have been in these types of spots a lot but two guys that handle things in a much different way. And I guess more specifically, I'm curious about the aggression factor in this matchup. You know, you see the Kansas city chiefs willing to go for it on fourth down twice in the AFC championship game. I would say the 49ers have had a little bit more of a passive approach in these playoffs, settling for a a lot of field goals, slow playing things. How do you think, aggression and and assertiveness from a coaching standpoint might come into play on Sunday night. Yeah, I think aggression is, is really going to come into play in this matchup because uh, you have like two, two really, really good offenses, right? I mean, obviously the 49ers have, have been extremely explosive and we know the Avengers of the lineup that they have, but even, with the struggles that the Chiefs have had this year, like we, we've talked about it, right? Like the wide receiver stuff, like the drops or the offensive line penalties, just kind of pushing them behind the sticks. We still know what they're capable of because they have Patrick Mahomes, they have Travis Kelsey, and and we've seen Rasheed Rice's emergence as well. And so I think with the way both coaches, Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan, are going to be calling plays, and, and when you get in those situations where – you think about going for it on fourth down, I think we're, we're going to see a lot of aggression just knowing what's on the other side, right? Like what, like the, what the other offense is capable of. Um, so I, I think we, we could see a lot of aggression. I think we could see a lot of points on the board too. I know both teams have great defenses, but I think just because of the caliber of the offenses uh, and then just with the Chiefs more so the potential of their offense because of Mahomes, I think that's really going to play into – uh, Andy Reid and, and Kyle Shanahan's calculus uh, heading into um, into the Super Bowl. You know, it's funny. We think of the Chiefs as being a very well-coached team. And they, I mean, they are. They are a very well-coached team. Andy Reid is incredible. But you brought up penalties. I wonder what role that might play in this game. The Chiefs are a heavily penalized team. You know, they had a touchdown wiped off the board in the AFC Championship game. It obviously didn't bite them in the end. But do you worry at all that that might raise its head in a game of this magnitude where we've seen crucial flags come into play on a, on a regular basis, even in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I think 
that that's something to be concerned about if you're the Chiefs, just because that's kind of who they've been this year, right? And and, and we know we, we know their propensity to kind of like turn it on in these moments. And obviously they've been on an incredible run since Christmas, just in terms of stacking up wins and whatnot. But uh, it's kind of like who, who they were this year. And, and I don't expect that to all of a sudden change just because it's the Super Bowl. We obviously know that the, the Chiefs can rise to the occasion in terms of like those critical plays and, and, and situations and, and moments of the game. But because it's been who they are, I, I wouldn't necessarily expect anything different. And they're going to have to kind of be prepared for that, to, to kind of expect that. I mean, we know Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are going to kind of lead the charge. But because it's who they've been this year, um, I don't expect that to like, I mean, obviously they can have a clean game and, and they want a clean game, but just because it's kind of like who they've been, um, I wouldn't be surprised to kind of see it show up in this game. And then we obviously know what's on the other side in terms of uh, the Chiefs having uh, George Karlaftis, uh, you know, 10 and a half sacks, Chris Jones, 10 and a half sacks. I mean, these are like premier pass rushers in this league. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, that they could get to the Chiefs, you know, their O-line into their head a little bit. And so I think that's definitely something to be concerned about if you're KC. 49ers are not strangers to big games. And Kyle Shanahan coached them in a Super Bowl four years ago. He was in the Super Bowl with Atlanta. But I am curious. We know the Chiefs can can perform in big moments like this. Obviously, they came back against San Francisco. Ten-point deficit in the last eight minutes of that game. They were trailing heading into the fourth quarter against Philadelphia last year. They managed to win on the 49ers side of this thing. Thinking about Kyle Shanahan, do you worry at all about combating failures of the past, I guess, and just, you know, getting this over the finish line, knowing that the chiefs know how to finish this game. And to this point, Kyle Shanahan teams have struggled with that. Do you, do you think that might weigh into some decision-making in this game, particularly in, in the crunch time moments? I mean, it, it certainly could, Dave, and, and I'm sure that's going to be in his mind, at, at the back of his mind, just because that's kind of been his history in these moments. But I, I think something the 49ers have showed is is that grit to, like, kind of finish games when, when things have kind of gotten bad. I mean, if you remember, like, earlier in the year, they, they were like the Super Bowl favorite, right? They were beating teams by 15, 20 points, it seemed, but then it got to a point in the year where they started to figure out uh, like kind of how to win those close games, to, to win those games to where it didn't look pretty. Uh, and I think that has kind of added a, a new component to like this version of Kyle Shanahan's 49ers. And we obviously saw what they did against the Lions coming back from that massive uh, halftime deficit and I'm kind of spacing on previous games where, where they've also had to like come back from trailing. Oh, like, like the Packers game, right? Where, where things, well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so um, I, I think, I think that's kind of a part of the identity of, of these 49ers. And even though historically, right, like Kyle Shanahan hasn't been good in these moments, I think this year, this year's team is maybe more equipped uh, just because they have the proof of the pudding, right? They've shown the reps, of succeeding when everything has kind of gone against them and, they, and they've still found a way to win games. So 
Um, I think that's important to consider from the San Francisco side of things. One in 31 when the Niners have gone into the fourth quarter trailing by five or more points under Kyle Shanahan. But the one win was last time out in the NFC championship game. And they also rallied against Green Bay as well. So maybe there's no time like the present. One other thing I want to hit on with you, Ben, and that's the way that you potentially call a game with the opposition in mind. And this is, this is Shanahan again, going against Steve Spagnolo. It's a recipe for success. All three of Patrick Mahomes' playoff losses have happened when he's lost the time of possession. Obviously the goal is to score points, but how important is it for, for Shanahan and the Niners to simply keep Patrick Mahomes off the field as well? That seems like it's going to be a big component of this game. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's definitely like an, an obvious point, right? But it, it's like harder said than done, of course. But I, I think from the 49ers perspective, when you have a running back of Christian McCaffrey's caliber, and, and we've talked about like this Avengers lineup that uh, San Francisco has, but he's probably their best player. Um, he's arguably the best player in, in the NFL this season. And uh, I think he, he's going to need to have one of those all-time great games uh, to keep the ball um, out of Mahomes' hands to, to really work the clock as much as you can. Because again, as we've talked about, like the Chiefs have had their offensive issues, but whenever Patrick Mahomes has the ball in his hands, any anything can happen, right? It, it doesn't matter the odds that they face. And so Christian McCaffrey is going to have to deliver. I mean, obviously Brock Purdy and, and everyone else is going to have to play well too. But I think this should be a Christian McCaffrey game more so than anything else. That's a really fantastic point, Ben. It's actually something we talked about earlier with Ralph on the 49ers side of this thing. I cannot wait to see how this chess match plays out. You've been doing such awesome work for us all week. I mean, really, if you listen to the podcast all season, Ben, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. And if, if I remember right, you said you got a couple big – Two more big pieces before the game coming on FoxSports.com about two of the Chiefs' more undersung players, if I've got that right. Uh, Yes. Um, uh, Legereus Sneed and uh, Rasheed Rice. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're they're kind of becoming stars, right? But I think in terms of the national focus, national spotlight, I, I think people are just now kind of learning who those guys are. And uh, certainly, like, really excited to kind of drop those stories. And, and, and Legereus Sneed, people don't really talk about it, but he, he was really, like, legitimately, like, a top three, top four corner in the NFL this season. Uh, you look at the advanced numbers, he didn't allow a single touchdown in coverage this season, uh, which was incredible, like, coverage success rate, EPA allowed for target completion rate allowed. I mean, you know, fantastic in, in regards to that. And he's been traveling with the number one receiver of a lot of teams, been shutting them down. No one's really had a big game on him. And so he's been huge. And so excited to kind of have that story drop on, on foxsports.com. And then Rasheed Rice, right? Like we know what Tra- Travis Kelsey has meant uh, to the Chiefs offense, to Patrick Mahomes. But right after Kelsey, it's become Rasheed Rice. He's become like that really that future uh, wide receiver one, right? Like when you think about 2024 and beyond, he's going to, he could be really special for them, but from the second half of the season on, he's been terrific actually since like week 12, uh, like he's like top five um, in receiving among all players in the NFL has really hit his stride. He's maybe not 
like a Tyreek Hill in terms of like his, his, his speed or anything like that. He, he's definitely a bigger player, more has to be more of a technician, but, but he, he can definitely leap can high point the ball. Um, and so he's been really good. He, he's really elevated, I think, in the biggest moments uh, for the Chiefs. And uh, he's going to have to come up big again uh, on Sunday uh, during the Super Bowl to help take pressure off of Travis Kelsey. So um, I think those two players are going to be uh, two of the guys who are going to definitely be more of those X factors for Kansas City. I said earlier in the week, Rasheed Rice over six and a half catches is like my lock bet for this game. I think it's easy money. So I'm very excited to hear you say that. And yeah, I think Legereus Sneed and Charvarius Ward as well, two of the best and also most underrated cornerbacks in the league right now, going to have a chance to show their stuff on Sunday night. Ben, you will be there. Please make sure you go find his stuff on foxsports.com or the Fox Sports app. Like I already said, man, I, I appreciate your help this season so much. I hope you enjoy the game, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you. One thing in particular that plays into this coaching matchup that goes back to what Ben and I talked about in terms of aggression, and I want to make sure we highlight it. How can you forget the kickers in this matchup? Two very different situations. The Chiefs employ one of the best, most consistent kickers in the league in Harrison Butker. He kicked the game winner in last year's Super Bowl. Safe to say he should feel comfortable on this stage. The 49ers with a rookie in Jake Moody, the third-round draft pick who's had what we'll call a shaky season to this point. Butker, 33 of 35 on the year. The Chiefs have stalled out in and near the red zone a lot this year. So Reed has called on Butker more than you might guess for a Kansas City offense, but he's been reliable. Two, two misses on the year. More importantly, 12 of 12 from 40-plus, including 5 of 5 from 50-plus. So once you cross midfield, Butker is an option, and history suggests he's probably going to come through for you. Moody, 21 of 25 in the regular season, and the playoffs have obviously been really shaky. Two misses from 48 in the playoffs this season. On the year, he's missed from 38, 40, 41, and 54. So even at the more manageable distances, not necessarily a guarantee, which that's what I think is so fascinating. Will that affect Kyle Shanahan's decision making in this game? If you've got fourth and down, fourth down near or or on the 30-yard line, do you settle for the field goal? It's bringing up shades of Dan Campbell from the game that the 49ers won. Do you put a potential Super Bowl on the leg of a rookie kicker in manageable field goal distance, or do you say, hey, our offense is the reason why we're here. Let's go out and get it. It ties into the trends as well. The three playoff games that Kansas City has lost in the Mahomes era, they gave up 27-plus points in all three of those games. So if you want to beat the Chiefs, you probably need points. Does that mean you're willing to settle for field goals in a game where maybe you need as many as four touchdowns? I don't know. I think most people would agree Kyle Shanahan – Ironically, because he he gets so much deserved credit for being on the cutting edge of offense, he tends to play these things more close to the vest in big moments. We've seen it throughout these playoffs. Would this stage and Moody's history so far this postseason change his thinking? I don't know. Reed, I'm a lot less worried about. A, he's got a super reliable kicker. B, 
We know he's been willing to put the chips down when he needs to. Kansas City went for it on a big fourth down early in the Baltimore game, led to a touchdown. I don't doubt Reed's going to make the right decision more often than not. But I do think that's interesting in a game in a in a situation where you know you probably need 28 plus points to beat Patrick Mahomes. How aggressive is Kyle Shanahan willing to be? What kind of role will his kicker play? As long as I'm thinking about it. Also, I know this is Steve Wilkes' area of expertise, but how might the Niners, how might Shanahan try to find some pressure to put on Patrick Mahomes? In all three games that the Chiefs have lost in the Mahomes era, they've lost the sack battle. Teams have managed to put Mahomes on the ground. Obviously, the crazy outlier is that Super Bowl in Tampa against the Buccaneers during the COVID season. Mahomes didn't have either of his offensive tackles and the Buccaneers feasted that entire night. I don't think we're going to see that from San Francisco, but whether it's the rest of their front four stepping up or Steve Wilkes and Shanahan dialing up some well-timed pressure, something's got to give. I think you've got to do a better job of pressuring Patrick Mahomes. Hey, maybe in some pivot point situations, maybe a well-timed pressure on a fourth down attempt could be the deciding factor in this game. Cannot wait to see which coach holds the right levers at the right times. You know something's going to happen. Cannot wait to see who comes out on the plus side of that. As for me, I'll be right here watching it. We'll be here to break it down with you on Monday, but I'll just get out in front of it. You got to give a prediction. I've been doing it all year, some better than others. But I have a strange feeling of deja vu just from a year ago. At this time last year, I said to myself, On paper, everything about the Eagles seems to be better than the Chiefs, and yet they have that guy wearing number 15. I feel the same way sitting here on this Friday. I like the Niners roster on paper. I like so much about what they do. The Chiefs have been so up and down this season. But they have Patrick Mahomes, and they have a defense that is capable of getting just enough stops. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, But I think in a more defensive-minded game than what we saw last year, I'll trust Patrick Mahomes to come through in the clutch. I will take the Kansas City Chiefs to repeat in a 26-21 win against San Francisco. Heartbreak continues for the Niners and the Chiefs. If they pull this off, they would be the first back-to-back champ since the Patriots all the way back in 2003-2004. I think they're up to the challenge. And even if they're not, you're not, you're not going to hear me bet against Patrick Mahomes into a microphone. That's just the lesson that I've learned. I'll take the Kansas City Chiefs as the Super Bowl 58 champions, regardless of how well or poorly that take ages. I will be back here with y'all on Monday to break it all down. We're going to visit with Ralph and Ben from both sides of the matchup. We will have all the post-game content you could possibly need, maybe even a look ahead, a way too early look ahead into 2024 so much to get to but for the meantime we're all ready to go man the haze in the barn there's nothing left to say super bowl 58 on deck and when it's over make sure you're subscribed (laughs) you know the drill by now have us ready on spotify on apple podcasts wherever you get your podcasts we will be here to break down super bowl 58 on monday i hope y'all enjoy the game man take care